0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you've been with us in 2023, you know that we have been walking through the book of 2 Corinthians. We began back in January. We've been walking our way through. Most recently, uh, we began last Sunday a series called Mission Own, as we look at the last four chapters of the book of 2 Corinthians. We see in these chapters how the Apostle Paul is owning the mission that Christ has invited him on. And through his example, we see how we might own the mission and an opportunity for us to serve Christ as well, so today we're going to look at the second part of this series as we look at all of chapter eleven, all of chapter eleven. But before we get there, I, I want to just just ask everyone a question. That question is this: How many of you have heard the expression before that Christianity is not so much a religion as it is a relationship with God? How many of you have heard that before? Um, number of hands go up. It's a very common expression. I'm actually not sure where that expression first originated. If you know, come and tell me after the service and the third service will be blessed with your knowledge. Um, But but this is a a common expression. It's one I've heard most of my adult life. And when we say that, we we, we need to ask the question, what do we mean when we say that Christianity is a relationship? And here's what I would say. It might mean a number of things, but this is the most important one, in my opinion. Most important thing is it reminds us that God is a relatable God. That God in his grace and mercy came to us. That God in his infinite wisdom created us in his image so that we might live in relationship with him forever. Friends, when we talk about Christianity being a relationship with God, we're saying that God is, is someone that we can relate to. Someone who has pursued us. Someone who by his grace has established the relationship in Christ So that we might know him and walk with him and depend on him each and every day. Now, this has implications both for our personal relationship with God, as well as for the way that leadership looks inside of a local church, a network inside of Christ's relational network. And so today what we're going to do is we look at chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. We're going to see a little bit more of what it looks like for this relationship with God to play out both in our connection to him, our dependence upon him, as well as leadership within his church. So We're going to be looking at all 33 verses of 2 Corinthians 11, and I realize that is more verses than I would normally read in one reading. But I think it's important for us to see all of this chapter in its full glory and context. So let me read for us 2 Corinthians 11, and then after I read, we'll back up and make a couple of observations today. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, begins this way. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness, Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained, and will refrain, from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do. In order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat... Let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall, and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus. He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now, friends, in these 33 verses, I want us to see two things today that will help us make sense of them. The first thing I want us to see is this. We are to remain faithful to him. We are to remain faithful to Jesus. We are not to follow after any alternatives, but we are to remain faithful to our God. Now, we see that by remembering the context of this entire section. See, Paul, we saw last Sunday, had opponents in the city of Corinth. There there were those false apostles who were gathering a a, a following in Corinth and trying to lead them away from Paul and away from the Christ that Paul was proclaiming. We saw a little bit of that last week, but this week in chapter 11, we'll see it in even greater detail. So what do we learn about Paul's opponents? Well, Paul's opponents... are are self-titled super apostles. We see that in verse 5. Indeed, I considered I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Now, what does it mean for someone to be a super apostle? Does it mean to be an apostle with an S on their chest? Does it mean to be an apostle that can fly? I mean, what does it mean to be a super apostle? Well, I think that this title was something that they had given themselves to say, we are better than Paul. If Paul is an apostle, then we are a super apostle, because we are superior to him. Our, our speaking ability is more elo- eloquent. Our presentation is more polished. They wanted to argue, these opponents of Paul, that they were to be preferred over Paul himself. They were super apostles. At least that was what they claimed to be. Also, though, they were deceitful. They were deceitful. In other words, they were sharing a falsehood intentionally. They were twisting and spinning things to their own advantage. Paul would say in verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen. They had found their way among this wealthy congregation in Corinth, and they were spinning tails in order to gain a following, in order to have a personal windfall. Paul goes on and says that they were actually masquerading as real apostles. They were false apostles who were disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. The apostles were a group of people specifically sent out by Christ for a particular mission. This group in Corinth who were opposing Paul were imposters to that mission. And ultimately, Paul would say that they are working for the enemy. They were working for Satan himself. And says, no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is of no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Did they know they were a servant of Satan? We don't have any reason to believe that they did. But what we do see is that they were actually contributing to the work of Satan leading people away from the one true God. They were confusing things, probably thinking of their own benefit, but they were actually doing the work of the enemy himself. And not only that, they were doing and accomplishing all of this by sharing some false teaching. Now, what was the false teaching that these false apostles were propagating, that were leading the people astray, that was so serious that Paul felt the need to attack them head on in this section? Well, it's important for us to look at verse 4 and see what Paul outlines as the issues of disagreement. Notice that Paul is not going to talk about three very minor things. He's not going to talk about three little single verse differences where believers might come to a different understanding on something. He's going to say that these folks are promoting three very foundational doctrines which are different from the doctrine that Paul had been sharing, that were different from the person that Paul had been introducing them to, that were different from the Spirit. That Paul had invited them to receive in Christ. They were promoting another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. Now, what was this different Jesus, spirit, and gospel that they were promoting? We don't know exactly. It doesn't tell us. But from other things that were happening in that region of the world at the time that this letter was written, we might extrapolate some of the things. That were a part of these differences. One of the differences in in a in a different Jesus that was being presented was perhaps they were presenting a Jesus who did not suffer, a Jesus that didn't really die on the cross because they were sharing a version of Christianity that was so triumphalist. I mean, how could the Savior actually have suffered the way that he suffered? Perhaps they were trying to share a crossless Christ. As it relates to the Spirit, perhaps they were trying to share a version of the Spirit that was just something that gave us a very warm feeling or gave us just some supernatural phenomena, some fireworks for us to personally enjoy. And as it relates to a different gospel, perhaps they were sharing a gospel that said, sure, you can accept Christ, but what you really need to do is to become a Jew. We don't know for sure which combination of those things were being shared, but in some way they were providing a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. Now, Paul took issue with this, not because he took a personal issue with it, but because it was dangerous for the Corinthians. You see, Paul saw himself, as we see in the first few verses of chapter 11, as somewhat of a matchmaker. It was his incredible privilege to introduce the people in Corinth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came, revealed God to us, died on the cross for our sins, and was raised on the third day. Paul saw it as an incredible opportunity to be like a matchmaker, to introduce the Corinthians to Jesus. Paul saw it as his great privilege to introduce the Corinthians to the one true Holy Spirit of God that... And dwells the lives of believers. Paul saw it as his privilege to introduce them to the, to the gospel message by which men and women might be saved. But apparently there were those who were trying to share a different gospel, a different Jesus, and a different spirit, and Paul took issue. Now, we, we might need a modern example to help us make sense of this, and so, Paul here is using kind of a, 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 an engagement and marriage scenario. So, I thought I would give you an example from our lives. Many of you know my wife, Kimberly. She's here this morning sitting on the front row. Uh, we have been married for 27 years. What a blessing uh, to be married to Kimberly. Well, a smattering of applause. I appreciate that. Nice little golf clap. You're clapping for her. She's the saint in the situation to stay with me for all this time. But when we we think about uh, this situation, you know, years ago, 27 years ago um, in August, we we stood on a stage in a church, and we exchanged vows. And when Kimberly exchanged her vows to me, she exchanged vows committing to be married to Mark. But it wasn't a commitment to be married to every Mark, Right? It was a commitment to be married to me, Mark. I'm a real person that Kimberly is related to as my wife, and I am relating to her as her husband. I am not married to every Kimberly. She is not married to every Mark. And if if she were to try to be married to another Mark, I would be jealous just, you know, take notes. That's a good part of the message. You know, it, and the same would be true in, in opposite, right? It's not just a connection to a name or a title. It's a connection to a person. Friends, this is what Paul is saying. He says, I have introduced you not to just an empty suit. I've introduced you not just to a category or a title or a religion, but I've introduced you to the one true son of God, Jesus Christ. I have introduced you to the one true Holy Spirit of God that wants to indwell your lives. I have introduced you to the one true gospel by which you can be saved. Friends, Paul was upset, not because he was personally offended. He was upset because someone was trying to take the people he loved away from the God who could save them. The God who could provide for them. And he took issue with that. Friends, that is the heart of every true pastor. As a pastor here at Wildwood, it is my joy to be able to to hopefully open God's word and present to you the true Jesus week after week so that you might be married to him, not just to an idea, not just to a religion, but to the one true God. As we read the scripture, we see a picture of the one true God. May we be faithful to him. Paul responds and, and says to them, he says, you know, you may think that I don't, speak so good you may think that i'm not the most eloquent guy in the room but but paul would say my knowledge is right on paul says i know the true god and for that reason stick with the message i am proclaiming you because i'm introducing you to the god who is not just the god you imagine might be now what are some modern day expressions of this some modern-day expressions. You know, we take this, this category, and what are some of the different versions of Jesus, some, some of the different versions of the Spirit, some of the different versions of the gospel that are presented to us today? Well, as it relates to Jesus, I would say that there are two extremes that, 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 I, that I hear. One extreme that I, that I hear at times in our culture is a lordless Jesus, a lordless Jesus. It's a presentation of Jesus as just one who who wants to, to save us eternally, but then wants our salvation just to go in our back pocket like a fire insurance policy, and then we live our lives however we want to live them. Friends, that's not the Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus we see of Scripture is one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that desires that we walk with him and follow him with our lives each and every day. This is the Christ of Scripture. This is the Christ that we we see and we sing about and we worship and we celebrate. Friends, let's not get distracted and begin following a Jesus that has nothing to do with our everyday life. That's not the Jesus of Scripture. That's a different version. Same thing would be a loveless Jesus. Jesus. Also in our culture, there's this idea that Jesus or Christianity is just a subject. It's just an idea. It's just something for academia or the university campus. There's no passion. There's no love. There's no relationship. But friends, the Jesus of Scripture is the God who knows us. The God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords came to this earth so that he might die for you. So that he might die for me. So that we might live in relationship with him forever amen? That's the Jesus we are to follow, not the aberrations in our culture. Same thing about the Spirit. You know, when we think of the Spirit today, some want to promote the Spirit as an impersonal force, kind of like electricity, right? But the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is God Himself, That's why the Scripture in the New Testament talks about the ability for us to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You don't don't grieve electricity, except for when you get your bill. Ah, see if you're still listening. Um, No, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not an impersonal force. It is God himself who has come to reside in our lives. But another version is just the Spirit as an entertainer. The Spirit just to, to, to give us a warm fuzzy. The Spirit just to create supernatural phenomena so that we can look at it and ooh and ah. But the reality is, friends, this, the Spirit of the Scripture is the Spirit that reminds us that we are His. It's the Spirit that guides us into all truth. It's the Spirit that produces fruit of love and joy and peace and kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's, it's the Spirit that is guiding us in obedience to Christ. Friends, that's the true Holy Spirit, not these aberrations that our culture is presenting. Same thing is true of, of the gospel. One aberrant view of the gospel that's out there is, is kind of a no-consequence gospel. In other words, we're not really accountable to God. What we do doesn't really matter. Everyone is saved in the end. There's a a version that is out there in our world today that's kind of a no-consequence gospel. So the the Christian worldview, the the gospel message is just some kind of philosophy for life with no real consequence, no real teeth to it. Friends, that's not the way that it really is. There are consequences. One day we will stand before God and give an account for our response to Christ. Don't fall to the no consequence gospel, and, and also don't fall to the human effort gospel. This is the gospel of every world religion, save Christianity, that it's all about what we do. Keep the list of rights and wrongs, worship in the right places, all of those kinds of things. If we do those, then we'll be on God's good side. The true gospel message is not that. The true gospel message is that we are saved not by our own work, but by the work of Christ on the cross for us. Friends, all of these are inferior counterfeits. May we reject them because there is a person of God that we can relate to, really. May we keep the real thing at the center of our relationship with him and not fall for any of these counterfeits. May we remain faithful to him. But a second thing that we need to see, a second important thing is this. We see in verses 7 to 13, and then the end of the chapter, an authentication of the faithful minister. An authentication of the faithful minister. Now, when I talk about the faithful minister here, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. He gives a defense of his ministry in these verses. Now, what is his defense? Well, first of all, it's helpful for us to understand a little bit about Paul's time in Corinth. Paul had spent an extended period of time in Corinth, about 18 months, according to Acts chapter 18. Paul had spent at least that long in the city of Corinth. And as he had ministered there, you might wonder, well, how did Paul support his ministry? When he gathered with the Corinthians, did he pass a basket? And did they support his ministry through their giving? Or did he fund it in some other way? Well, he funded it in a different way. He funded his ministry, first of all, by by being a tent maker. We see that in Acts chapter 18 and verse 3. He went into business with Priscilla and Aquila. They had the same trade. And in the city of Corinth, they had a little tent shop. And he used the proceeds that he made there in order to fund his ministry. But over time, as the ministry continued to grow, Paul had apparently some significant financial needs. And the gift that God gave to help meet that need did not come from the Corinthians. As a matter of fact, that gift came from the Philippians or the people of Macedonia. We see that in 2 Corinthians 11, 9, where Paul says, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Why is it that Paul would take the money from the Philippians, but not take the money of the Corinthians? Well, honestly, we don't really know. Paul was not. Afraid to ask the Corinthians to give an offering, he, he does so. Back, we saw it in the summer in, in the earlier chapters of the book. Why is it that he did not take a collection from the Corinthians in order to fund the ministry he was doing in Corinth? Well, I think a couple of reasons, maybe. One reason why he did not was because of the, the phase of ministry when he was in Corinth, it was a church planting phase. And Paul did not want the collection of an offering to distract from the planting of the church and the mission. And so Paul ministered there on the back of his own labor in order to be able to get the church started in that city. And then later on, as the ministry began to grow, he took the gift from the Philippians. Why did he not seek a gift from the Corinthians at that time? Well, I think the reason why he didn't is it's possible that the wealthy Corinthian church was used to paying for the message. In other words, the wealthy people of Corinth, maybe they would pay the speaker with an eye that the speaker then would be controlled by them. Paul did not want his message controlled by the money. And so Paul kept his allegiances clean in that city and faithful to Christ instead. We don't know exactly why, but for whatever reason, Paul was not taking up an offering from the Corinthians to fund the ministry that was happening in Corinth. Now, We might think at first glance, well, weren't the Corinthians appreciative for that? Right? They didn't even have to to, to give an offering for this ministry. I mean, wasn't that a good thing? Well, the super apostles were trying to twist that. They would would tell that story. Paul didn't even take up an offering from you. Your money wasn't good for him. What's What's his angle? What's his deal? Why did he do that? Paul responded and said, did I do this because I didn't love you? And he says, absolutely not. Of course I love you. I did this because I love you, and I want to introduce you to Christ. But that didn't stop Paul's opponents from still trying to twist it. These deceitful workmen who, instead of wanting something for the Corinthians, wanted something from them, wanted their allegiance, wanted their money, wanted their adulation. This shows the big difference between Paul and his opponents. Again, Paul wanted something for them, while Paul's opponents wanted something from them. Now, after this conversation about finances, Paul begins to share a little bit of his resume. Now, this would have been something that would have been normal in the the first century, especially in a Greek context. When a speaker would take the stage, an introduction might be made where that person's credentials were laid out so that people might know that this is someone that should be listened to. I was trying to think of an example for our day. Uh, maybe a boxing match would be the clearest example we could think of, right? So the, the we would imagine a boxing match where we would say, you know, and taking the stage with a perfect record of, you know, 75 and 0, from the city of Norman, Oklahoma, weighing in at a hundred and something pounds, the fighting hero of Robin Hood Lane, Joshua Robinson, and everybody would cheer, yeah, you know, you, you'd be introduced this this hero in that way, and it was common for people to introduce a speaker in a similar way by sharing their great strengths. Well, Paul here feels a need to authenticate his ministry, but notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't highlight the letters he wrote to the other churches. These people were saying they were better than Paul. Paul never says, hey, I'm the one who wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. I'm the one that wrote the second letter to the Thessalonians. I'm the one that wrote the letter to the Galatians. All were circulating at that time. Paul didn't say, scoreboard, I'm writing the New Testament. Listen to me. He didn't do that. Paul also didn't talk about uh, others' commendation of his speech. You know, it's interesting that that, uh, Paul was criticized in Corinth as being not very eloquent. But when Paul spoke in Lystra, guess what they said? They said, that man talks like a god. Now, if I was being criticized for my ability to speak, you know what I would be tempted to do? You may not like me, but my podcast is the number one download in Lystra. You know, Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. He didn't play that game. He, he also didn't reference any of the miracles that he had performed. He doesn't do that here. He, he also didn't mention any of his powerful friends. Who are their friends? My friends? Peter, James, and John, the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. Yeah, those guys? Yeah. And Jesus, I saw him on Damascus Road. He didn't play any of those cards here. Now, Paul will mention those things in other letters in different contexts, but he doesn't do so here. Why? Well, it's because Paul here says it. He says, I'm I'm speaking like a madman. I'm talking like a fool. But what he was doing was he was actually speaking almost a little bit ironically here, a little bit satirically. It's like, you want me to to, to provide some kind of self-adulation Let me tell you where my adulation is found. Let me give you a little bit of a picture of my life. And he begins to share his sufferings. He begins in verse 23, and he gives this overview of his sufferings. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Paul says, you want to know where my commendation is? Let me remind you of what I've gone through. Now keep in mind... This was still fairly early in the ministry of Paul. This is happening before the the, the extent of his third missionary journey. This is happening before his trip to Rome. This is happening before the end of the book of Acts. Paul is going to recount a number of the difficulties that he's experienced, not just because he was unlucky, but because of his faithfulness in following Christ. He zooms in a little more closely and he talks about the beatings that he has received. He says five times, five times, he says, I have received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Why 40 lashes less one? Why the 39 lashes? Because the Jews were not allowed to commit capital, to issue a capital punishment. And 40 lashes was said to kill a man. And so they would do 39 lashes and feel like they could do that with a straight face. Even though 39 lashes would kill many, Paul survived it five times. The 39 lashes would have torn all the skin off his back and chest. Every time he took off his shirt to take a bath or to get in the water, he would see the marks of Christ upon his body. Five times. Not only that, he three times he was beaten with rods. That was the Romans' favorite type of punishment. Three times he was beaten with rods. We only have one record of a beating with rods happening in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is not comprehensive. It's just representative. Paul was, was beaten with rods. And one time he was even stoned. Rocks thrown at him with the intent to kill. Paul had gone through a number of beatings. He also had gone through a number of, of travel woes gone to a number of travel woes. And again, this is not because he was unlucky. It was not because he disliked to travel and his flight was canceled or delayed. No, what Paul is talking about here is because of his role as an itinerant minister, traveling around the Roman empire, proclaiming Christ everywhere he went, he experienced a number of hardships in that travel. You know, shipwrecks, multiple shipwrecks. Again, the book of Acts has a very famous shipwreck. That shipwreck is not even counted in this number. Because the shipwreck that Paul has at the end of the book of Acts hasn't happened yet when he wrote this letter. Other shipwrecks he was a part of. Nights and days he spent in the deep. He was in danger everywhere he went as he traveled. It was difficult to travel at that time and in that season. He was cold. He wasn't staying at the Ritz. He didn't have the finest of foods. He went through all kinds of difficulties in order to fulfill this calling of proclaiming Christ in the world. And then he gets over to verses 28 and 29, and he makes this statement. He says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul said, the emotional weight and burden of leading the church is like the cherry on this Sunday. He said, I have just gone through a lot. I have suffered with Christ and for Christ you want to you you know, uh, Paul says, if I'm really with Jesus, then, then let me give you my resume. And you can see what I've endured in Jesus' name. And then he concludes with this very odd example. Very odd example. You know, he, he talks here in verses 30 through 33 about when he was let down in a basket on the other side of the wall of the city of Damascus. You know, why does he do that? Why does he conclude with this very specific example? Is it just, you know, scatterbrained Paul forgot one more thing, and he adds it on to the end? No, I think it's given here as, a, as an example, an example that is given for a very specific purpose, so we don't leave his resume thinking, isn't Paul awesome? So that we leave seeing that Paul was helpless, lying in a basket, and escaped How? Because God had intervened for Paul. Why ultimately should the Corinthians listen to Paul? Because he was connected to God, and God was speaking through him. Friends, when we think of this particular example. Paul is, is laying out for them in, in clear detail that if he was to boast, he was going to boast about things in his weakness so that Christ might be made great. Reminds me of what is said of Jesus in Isaiah 53.3. It says, Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Paul was saying, I'm following the one who was rejected. I'm following the one who was crucified. Therefore, my life has borne on it the marks of Christ. A couple of things when we think about our response to all of this. A couple of things, and then we'll sing a song in response. First thing, leaders following Jesus want something for their people and not just from their people. They want something for their people and not just from their people. And I would say, when I say leader here, I'm not just saying about leaders on stages. I'm saying about you as you step into a children's Sunday school class to teach. You as you step into a youth group uh, to, to lead. You who step into a small group to be a part of. You who reach out into your neighborhood to share Christ with those who do not know him. Friends, when we step into ministry in Jesus' name, our desire is to do something for them, not to get something from them. This is the example and testimony that Paul has. Second thing, though, leaders following Jesus have a humble zeal for Jesus and actively work to proclaim the gospel regardless of the cost. I'm trying to think of how do you summarize Paul's life? I would say it's a humble zeal. It's not just a zeal for the things of God when everything was perfect, when everything worked out. It was a zeal for the things of God and the proclamation of the gospel, no matter what it cost him. And friends, it cost him a lot. How easily are we discouraged and taken off mission because of small inconveniences? May the humble zeal of Paul be in you, and may the humble zeal of Paul be in me. And that's possible. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit of God that indwelled Paul indwells you and indwells me. And the same Jesus who led Paul is the same Jesus who is inviting you to follow as well. In the same gospel message that Paul proclaimed is the same message that we have embraced by faith as well. Therefore, dear friends, may we stay faithful to the original, and may we follow him in authentic, ministry together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for just the opportunity to open your word and study it today. Thank you for the encouragement that we have seen inside of it. Thank you, Lord, that you are real and that we don't just fill in the blank with ideas about you, but you have revealed yourself to us. You've revealed yourself in Christ. You've revealed yourself in the scripture so that we might really know you. And Lord, your spirit is present even now among us so that we might be empowered to walk with you in this day. Lord Jesus, may we continue to follow you faithfully. May we be a people of humble zeal, regardless of the cost. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.